Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric V. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And today we're here with Ron Norwood. Ron, thanks for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Today's topic is a general one. And as I'm looking at our uh, remote equipment as we're recording, it's because of COVID. We're all attorneys and we come from different size firms. And uh, John and I were talking about it might be a good idea to get a few of us together to talk about how COVID has affected us as far as how we do our jobs as lawyers. Ron, we'll let you talk a little bit about yourself in just a second, but I'll just mention as the cartoon version, I'm a solo practitioner. John, you've got, what, about a dozen, 14 attorneys at your firm? Yeah, about. And then, Ron, you come from Lewis Rice, where you've got well over 100. Is that right? About 135 in the St. Louis office, yes. So I'm thinking about this, uh, like what, the Goldilocks version, you got a small firm, medium firm, big firm. And I thought maybe we have some unique challenges to the to what we're trying to accomplish. But Ron, why don't we start off? Why don't you give us a thumbnail of why you became a lawyer and how you got to where you are now? Just a just a brief view of that. Well, I am actually a Chicago native. Grew up in Chicago, south side of Chicago. Attended undergrad at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Graduated from there in 1982. Gosh, long time ago as a journalism major. And I loved to write. And in 1983, I attended the University of Missouri Columbia School of Law. And I was there from 1983 to 1986. In the summer of 1985, between the second and third year of law school, I was a summer intern at a law firm called Lewis and Rice. After law school in 1986, I spent two years in federal district court in Kansas City as a law clerk for Judge Scott O'Wright, who has since departed. It was a great experience there. And then after that two-year clerkship in August of 1988, I rejoined Lewis Rice as a litigation associate and then ultimately became a partner at the firm in 1997. Ron, I'm not going to let you... uh get away with just your law. You've got an unusual hobby, at least from my perspective. It's in the martial arts, right? Yes, actually, that is my probably number two passion. I started doing martial arts in college my last year at the University of Illinois in 1981. Started doing kung fu with a, a crew. Some of my buddies had a great teacher, did phenomenal stuff over the course of that nine-month stint, and then graduated. And then in midway through law school, I started with a group that was doing a martial art called Shore Kempo, which is an Okinawan-style karate. And we did that for a year and a half, me and some law school buddies. And when I went to Kansas City, I re-engaged with a Kung Fu instructor who also taught Tai Chi. I'm actually affiliated with a Muay Thai kickboxing group that I've been affiliated with for 25 years. I'm part owner of that group, and we are shut down in light of COVID. But now, since I'm working remotely, I, I wind up doing Tai Chi twice a day, and that, that's pretty much it. So, so that is a passion, and I love it. When I started doing Tai Chi in St. Louis in 1988, when I relocated here, I got married in July of 1988 to my soulmate, Washington University law professor, Kimberly Norwood. 
We got married in July in New York. I started at Lewis Rice in August of 88. And then a month or so after that, I started working with a crew, a Tai Chi crew that was headed by a lawyer who you all may know named Justin Meehan. So when I came here and worked with that group, that's when I really, really began to experience the whole Tai Chi experience. That's when I sort of fell in love with it and competed back in those days. Uh, we went to Texas and Florida and Kansas City and other places, competed, won medals there. But the highlight was in 2015 when I went to China with a crew and ultimately wound up winning a silver medal in China. And so that's when I hung up my boots at that point, because I figured it, it can't get a lot better than that. So, so that was a, quite the experience. And in fact, the other two individuals in our St. Louis crew, they wound up winning gold medals and I won the silver medal. So, so it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful experience in Beijing. Ron, that's, real, that's fascinating. It really is. I had no idea. That, yep. is, that is really, really cool. So you still do it, but you don't do it competitively. Still do it. Don't do it competitively. And in fact, that competition in 2015, I had not competed s since 1995. So, so that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Wow. 20 years. Well, maybe we can move on to our topic. As we sit here, COVID is raging. There's no vaccine in sight yet. We've all been in it for over six months, six or seven months. And maybe we can start out, maybe we can go around the table the virtual table. Ron, do you want to go first and just give us a, a thumbnail of how how this has affected your ability uh, to function as a lawyer on a day-to-day -day basis? Let me kind of back up because because I don't know. I may have even had COVID. My wife may have had COVID. <laughs> so we, we wonder, we need to get some antibody testing to see. But around in March, we were traveling. In fact, it was the last two trips we took in early March, we wound up going to Austin, Texas for an ABA mid-year meeting. And at that ABA mid-year meeting, both she and I were presenters at that meeting. Then two weeks later, there was a convention that she had to attend in Boston at Boston University. And so I sort of tagged along my first trip to Boston. So we went there. We have a friend who has a student at Harvard. So I got a chance to visit Harvard for the first time. And we flew back. And a few days later, she had a really, really bad cough, laryngitis that lasted two or three weeks. And then I picked up a little cough. And we're talking mid-March before everything really shut down. And, and she was probably sick for three weeks or maybe a little bit more. And at the time, COVID Maybe we may have had a couple of isolated cases in, in Washington at the time. So we didn't even think about COVID or think about testing or anything like that. A couple of weeks before my birthday, we're talking mid-March, I had planned a big birthday celebration that was kiboshed by COVID. And, and our office shut down right around the same time. Uh, and we have been shut down since then. And, and of course, now as we work through it, some lawyers are working in the office periodically, but for the most part, we are working remotely indefinitely. And, and it has been quite the change for me personally. I love being around uh, the lawyers in the office, but at the same time and having to manage what is a, obviously a tough situation, 
uh, from my standpoint, it's worked out okay. I mean, I'm with, with my laptop, I have a laptop, I have a stand, I have a, a keyboard and a mouse that is on wheels. And I, so I bounce around the house for these types of sessions and hearings and conferences and things of that sort. So by and large, for me personally, it's, it's been okay. I miss the camaraderie and the interaction. Uh, we have, of course, our occasional firm Zoom meetings. But given where we are with this very horrendous disease, uh, I think it's the best thing right now to remain remote until we get on the other side of this thing. We've had the same experience. You know, our firm, we've got 13 attorneys. We're remote indefinitely. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, the socialization, the interaction, doing the work. We've been productive, the other attorneys in the office, because there's there's not a whole lot other than trying cases we can't do on Zoom or remotely. And so we're taking depositions, having Zoom meetings. But it is, it's we've been doing it since uh, April, maybe late March, April. That's what you miss. Just walking down the hallway, stepping in somebody's office, talking to them about a depot that you just took or a hearing that you had. And I know I miss that. I'll tell you guys, we did a survey asking everybody in the office what they thought about. Did some you know, staff, attorneys, did some people want to do this permanently, even, even once we get back past this COVID stuff? About half or so was interested in staying remote, working from home, in other words, on a permanent basis. And it was interesting because the younger lawyers and the younger people in the firm more so wanted to come back in. One of the brand new lawyers we have, he just actually just took the bar exam in, in all this COVID stuff. What he said was, how am I going to learn anything <laughs> You know, if I'm, if I'm not there in the office? And, you know, having practice as long as we have, you don't think about that. How important it is just to see other people do things and be around and listen to them when they're on the phone. The technology is allowing us to do most of what we could do before, and I don't think it's going to go back the way it was before completely. I really don't. I always did stuff remotely, depositions, not necessarily court hearings, but depositions. I always did them by video conference, but you won't see as much traveling across the country to take a two-hour deposition or to meet with a witness. I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing now, it's more efficient, time-saving, and a lot of it, I think, is here to stay. What about you, Eric? Well, I'd probably expand the stuff that's going to stay to include the pesky little status conferences and scheduling conferences. What a what a waste it is. Get dressed up, go drive to court, uh, sit there, wait, 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 see the judge. The judge says, what's going on? And typically you go, everything's going pretty well. We're moving along. And so that takes five minutes. Maybe you listen to a few jokes or stories by the judge and then you're on your way. You get home. That ate up three or four hours potentially. And whenever you can turn three to four hours into five minutes. That's a win. That's a big win. Even though you do get to see others at court. And I know, John, you and I have talked about this before. It's good to get to court because you do get to see people you're not expecting to see. I was just thinking that that's where I run into people most of the time, you know, is in court. You go into court and and you're not the only one there. You know, I'll run into attorneys I haven't seen in two, three, four, sometimes 10 years. And you end up going to get a cup of coffee or grabbing lunch. The personal interaction is, is what I miss. And to me, I've always... I, I kind of looked forward, even though it's you might only spend five minutes actually in, in front of the judge. I've always liked going to court because that's where, you know, that's where you meet most of the people in our profession. That's, that's how you make relationships and get to know everybody. You raise an interesting point in that imagine if this had happened, say, in 1989 or 90, 
when we weren't as plugged in as we are now with the phones, the portable phones and the computers and the online research. I mean, it could have been devastating to the entire industry. And as you've indicated, as I've indicated as well, we have been able to continue to work remotely and not miss a beat as it relates to servicing clients. And, and so in that sense, if you can find any silver lining in the COVID world right now, at least for our profession, the timing, I think, is, is, is big in terms of the ability for us to continue to perform the services, the valuable services for our clientele. Ron, I couldn't agree more. I think without this technology, we would be in a world of hurt. No, no question. Ron, what about this? We're doing everything but trying cases. And, and as you are aware, the courts here aren't open. And there's really no timeline that we know of. I mean, they're going to open eventually. And I've heard talk about remote trials, picking a jury remotely and things like that. And actually, Eric, we talked a little bit about that with John Campbell when he was on with us. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think that is the one disadvantage, of course, as as you are and as I am and as Eric is, you know, we are trial lawyers. I mean, we love the courtroom. I mean, being in the courtroom, there's no substitute for being there, having the jury and the judge and the audience hanging on your every word as you flow with your, your argument. And so that that is a big loss. I think things are moving well for our firm. But one of the real challenges, and I feel really bad about it, is the fact that we are wrapping up our summer associate class this week. We typically bring in anywhere between 12 to 14 summer interns. I was a summer intern in 1985. We had eight that summer. And and this summer, with the COVID problem we have, these summer interns had to basically get to know the lawyers pretty much remotely. And then their ability to learn in terms of sitting in on depositions. I remember my first deposition was the summer of 85. Someone just grabbed me in a case I wasn't involved in. So, yeah, I got a deposition going on. Come on in. And I sat and I watched, you know, you hear about a deposition in law school and it sounds all mysterious, but having sat through it that summer, it was a really amazing experience. And unfortunately, our summer interns have been deprived of that experience. Same thing with court appearances. I would routinely grab a summer intern. We got a hearing going on, come on down or, or, or have a number of interns just sort of line up in the peanut gallery with their popcorn watching the fur fly in some of these hearings. And so that is a big disadvantage, I think, for us as a firm, because, of course, we want to provide that experience to our summer interns. And, of course, from them, uh, from their standpoint, even though, of course, they're getting paid, they're being cheated out of that uh, overall experience. But but back to your question, John, I mean, I think that the, the, the virtual trial scenario will be interesting. Uh, I think, of course, we lose a lot. I think our clients lose a lot because of the fact that having virtual jurors, having virtual lawyers, it is obviously not the same as having one gathered together. If you're a juror and you have a, a child in the background and you're in the middle of trying to decide the fate of, of some individual criminally or civilly, it's very problematic. So, so 
on the one hand. But on the other hand, of course, just like we are in terms of our operations and in terms of continuing to work remotely, the courts have to deal with the primary issue, which is safety. And safety is, 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 is important. And we have to navigate the environment that we have. So to the extent that we have to do virtual trials, we will do virtual trials. But of course, it's just not the most ideal way, in my view, to try cases. I agree with you. I'm thinking we have trouble getting the jurors to pay attention when they're all in the courtroom and the judge is watching them. And uh, I'm just thinking half of them are going to have their phones out. Some of them, some of them might be watching Netflix on, on another screen in the room. There is no way they're going to give or you're going to get the attention that you would get in a courtroom setting doing virtual trials. It's just not going to happen. And also talking to other people about it and, and, and the jury together, bonding watching them, seeing who the leader in the group is. We've talked about this almost, what, 80%, 70% of communication is nonverbal. And to not see the reaction, seeing how they look at a witness or seeing how one juror is, is looking at your client or got their arms crossed or folded, you miss all of that. I just don't see how you can replace the in-person jury trial. I think if we put our heads together there's a lot of smart people trying to figure out how we can do it. I don't see why we wouldn't be able to figure out a good, safe way to do it and then still maintain the jury trial that's been in existence for what, you know, 300 years or whatever it is. We've had pandemics before. We didn't give up the, you know, the system that has worked well for us for so long. But I, I agree. One, one of the things I was thinking about, too, that, Ron, when you were talking about your interns, we have the same thing. We have summer clerks. And we, we did it remotely with them and haven't met any of them in person even yet. But one of the things that, that I always, I liked it as a, as a law clerk, as a young lawyer, when you would walk to court with another lawyer, an older lawyer, and, and you'd learn not only things about the case, but about the judge you're going to be in front of. And then I would, I would ask a, a thousand questions on the way back. You know, why did you argue this? What do you think? How do you think the judge is leaning? I think most of what we learn is walking up to courtroom, walking to the deposition, taking the lunch break, you're know, going to lunch in the middle of a deposition. And you just, you just learn so much more. Well, let me jump in on that, John. Uh, when I'm in a courtroom as, a, as an internal martial artist, as a Tai Chi person, I'm reading energy. I'm feeling the energetic vibes and I'm trying to project my chi out there to the mm -hmm. audience, be it the jury or a judge. And capturing that in the Zoom world is a little bit more challenging, I think. And then, like you say, when you're working with an older partner, a senior partner, or as we used to call them back in our days, uh, a gray-haired partner, there's a certain energy, uh, synergy that's going on. And, and basically hearing them, hearing their war stories, feeling their passion, their commitment, that's really, really important. And that's so difficult to do now in our COVID environment. It really is. I agree entirely with this importance of chance encounters. I remember being raised in bigger firms where you would just encounter somebody in the hallway, a partner who might actually give you some encouragement because you might be a little frustrated with something or give you some advice or ask you, how it's, how's it going? And you need to vent a little bit to get some perspective. Or that maybe after a hearing, you'll hear that more experienced attorney talk about their 
concerns and their disappointments, things like that, because we're, we're all humans. So Ron, your clients probably are a little bit different than the clients at my firm. We represent individuals for the most part, some small businesses. And I know you, your clients are a lot larger corporations. Uh, how has the remote access, how how's that affected? Have you found that a little more difficult with your keeping in touch with your clients or new clients or client contact? Well, actually, interestingly, we may be even more engaged in some ways with the clients in that before COVID, and of course, you know, you're talking about representing clients in, in Chicago and other places throughout the country, you would pick up the phone and have a telephone conference by and large, but now you're on Zoom. And so you get to see the client more. Okay. And then of course they are working, most of them, at least a lot of the ones I've been working with, they're working remotely as well. So I don't think we've lost anything there necessarily. Now, of course, when you're talking about meetings and deposition preparations, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. And it's so much more challenging to, to work with a witness. Although again, in our electronic world, having everything electronic, electronic paper, that was the one thing, you know, I, I was able to, to sort of get ahead of the curve. I remember when I started as a young lawyer, I was always the one that seemed to be ahead of the curve on the technology. And now I am so far behind <laughs> with respect to social media and the young lawyers. Now it's amazing how things evolve. But the one thing I was ahead of the curve on, which is really paying dividends now, is that probably about five years ago, I was a big proponent of electronic paper. And so so all of the matters I'm involved in, I have them all electronically, the pleadings and, and everything. So that now when I'm working remotely, I don't have to worry about do I have my files in the file cabinet and digging through. I have everything right here at my fingertips with my laptop electronically. So that's been a big dividend. But with respect to client interfacing, given the nature of the clientele that we represent, we don't lose as much in terms of communication, but it really relates to the trial prep, the the depot prep, that sort of thing. Our experience is a little bit different. Most of our clients are, are individuals and almost all of them have never been through this process before. They've never uh, given a deposition, never even sat in on a deposition. And having, and, and this has happened a, a handful of times so far, and that is having our client be at a remote location, giving a deposition without you being there with the client sitting next to him. It's created some anxiety with our clients. And the option was postpone the deposition, you know, do it at a time where we could be in the same room with them. What we've done at least a couple times is go through it and do it remotely. But when you take a break, for instance, you want to be able to talk to your client and, and just, you know, being in a room with them and nod of the head, a smile, calming them down a little bit. That has been a little bit more difficult. And I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly what the answer to that is. I think it's very uh, reassuring and, and calms a client down when you're, you know, you're there to prepare them in person. And you're also sitting right next to them. You can tell them, look, I'll be right here. I'll be in the room with you right by your side. It's a different story when they're there all by themselves, I think. And we can't kick we can't kick them under the table anymore. So that makes it problematic. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, give them signs. <laughs> I saw a study a while back where being in person is of course the best. You get to see all the all the intangibles that are going on in the room, body posture and uh, all the all that stuff that's not verbal. A phone call is something, right? And I, I think I read it was like thirty or forty percent 
of the value of having an in-person conversation, a video conversation like Zoom, it jumps it up to like 70%. It's a much better environment to actually read their faces and see their concerns where you wouldn't hear them on the phone. And so uh, just uh, one example of this, I had a couple of clients I had to prepare for depositions and we had an arbitration actually uh, two weeks ago. They did not have a computer. I ended up buying, buying a computer. I bought a little Chromebook for $300 and I shipped it to them in Indiana. They did have Wi-Fi and we used it several times to talk about the case or prepare for the deposition. And then they had the arbitration. They didn't have to drive 10 hours across the, you know, the Midwest to get to the arbitration. I think it went well, very few technical glitches. You can share screens. It was actually a really pretty good presentation by both sides, very vigorous. And it all happened in my office at my home for me. And it was so convincing to me that after it was over, an hour later or a day later, two days later, I was thinking about the arbitration that we just had. And I had to stop and ask myself, where was that? Because it seemed like I was somewhere. Uh, and I, I was in my room. You know, I was at a computer in my room. So it, it sometimes works pretty well. That's a good idea, shipping a laptop or a, you know iPad to your client to have them use it. So, Ron, what about your office itself? Is it open? Is are, are attorneys going in? Is everybody remote? We are, for the most part, remote, and we have a skeletal crew there to help out. Some lawyers feel the need to be in the office, and so we are adhering to the guidelines, uh, taking the steps to make sure that people who enter are safe. Part of the challenge we have is our office at 600 Washington. We start at 19 and go up to 25. And with the guidelines, I was in the office maybe about a month ago after about two months to retrieve some items, but we can only have two to an elevator. And then we have markings in the lobby where, you know, the six feet apart. And so you can imagine if you're talking about people starting at 9 a.m., trying to get up to the suites in the morning when you're only going to have two to an elevator is a challenge in and of itself. But we do have lawyers who are working in the office after their screen. And, and of course, as you've indicated, a lot of the younger lawyers like to be there in the action and of course, it's it's a lot different environment when 75 to 80% of the, the personnel are not there. Totally different environment altogether. You know, that two to an elevator sounds like one too many to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and interestingly, they've got markings in the elevators, which is supposed to be, I mean, there is about six feet by six feet. So in order to get the two, one has to stand in one extreme corner and then the other one has to stand in the other extreme face, corner. Face away from each other, right? Face, face <laughs> in the corner. And then you have press, to, you have press to the coin corner. or something because who's going to press the buttons, right? That's you right. Let the, other, uh, the other person, would you please press that one for me? And you That's better right. stifle you better stifle those sneezes or else someone can, <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine that? A sneeze in the elevator? Whoa. You, just, you just have to hold your breath for 20 floors is all you got to do. <laughs> So one of one of the things that we've done is, and we we've, we've been we have been doing this for a couple months now, and we're small enough to do it just to to keep everybody in touch. Every Monday we have what we're, what we've been calling our attorney call, and we all get on a Zoom call, and 
we, we sort of have an agenda, but we really don't. It's just we go around and every, each of the lawyers or teams talk about what's going on, just what's going on, what's happened the last week, what's going on this week. Once in a while, we'll talk about something substantive, uh, about when the court's going to open or, or so forth. But I hope it's helped just to see everybody and, and get to touch base with them. And, and sometimes it's not even stuff going on at the, at the firm. It's stuff going on in their, in their personal life or stuff like that. Ron, I assume you, you probably never get everybody on one Zoom call, and there's some departments that know very little about what the others do, but how, how big a Zoom call ca- is manageable in your opinion? Well, we have department meetings, and we have firm meetings, partner meetings. We have meetings with our associates on Zoom. We actually had an interesting program. Part of the job I have is I am the chair of our firm's diversity and inclusion committee, And so this week, in fact, we put on a webinar, a bias training CLE that was presented by my wife, Washington University law professor, Kimberly Norwood, talking about implicit bias. As you all well know, we have a requirement now that we have to have at least one hour of credit in that space, diversity, implicit bias, that sort of thing. And so we arranged to provide that in-house through Professor Norwood. And we also invited outside legal counsel to participate. And we had, of course, it's easier when you have a presenter. Of course, you're, you're taking questions, some written questions, some uh, uh, verbal questions. But we had about 170 on that Zoom presentation. So when we have our smaller department meetings, meetings with associates, it works. I mean, you know, it's not, of course, ideal in terms of meeting in person, but but it's not as cumbersome as I thought it would be, quite frankly. We do a, a seminar every year. We've been doing it for about, I guess, 18, 20 years. And it's a, a seminar for legal services to benefit legal services. And we've never missed it in a year. We're doing it this year remotely. And that's that's going to be interesting. I'm one of the presenters. And I don't know that much about the technology, but we usually have you know, 150, 200 attendees. We'll see how that goes, I guess. I don't have those challenges. I, you know, I'm a solo practitioner, so <laughs> the, the, the meetings, the meetings are a, a little... Meeting, you can have a firm <laughs> meeting when you're by yourself in your car, right? <laughs> Do you have your own department meetings, Eric? <laughs> yeah, I have several departments. <laughs> I had them all. <laughs> yeah, all he needs is a, is a mirror, and he's got everything covered, so... <laughs> As far as the courts opening, I haven't really heard anything. Have either of you heard any new news about when the courts are opening? I heard there was a, a trial actually scheduled at the Eastern District Federal Court that was then canceled when the, the numbers picked up again. But then I, I was attending a CLE two weeks ago where a judge from Missouri was talking about his wife, who's a judge in the federal court, actually had a trial. It sounded like about a month before. Was it a criminal or, case or, or a civil case? I, I don't know, but he said they actually had had a trial and the witness was in a plexiglass sheltered area with not, without a mask. So you could see the expressions on their face, but everybody else wore masks and they, they somehow pulled it off. I'd like to know more about how they did it, and it, but it sounds like it would be an immense amount of work to get it done. I think the biggest challenge is going to be jury selection. For instance, in St. Louis County, you know, the jury selection room, what is it, old 250, 300 people, and they bring them all in on a Monday, and, and you know, that just doesn't sound like that's going to work anymore. Instead of starting all the trials on a Monday, maybe we stagger them and start them different days or something like that. I wonder if you could do a Zoom Vordire and then bring those folks in, or, or at least cull it down to some extent, 
with a first swipe. I know none of none of this is ideal, but getting getting sixty people in a courtroom, even a gymnasium sized courtroom, sounds like it's fraught. Yeah, and of course the duration of the trial is an issue, right? I mean, if you're talking about a three or four week trial in person, the risk, of course, increase exponentially in that circumstance. And so, so from what I've seen, I mean, I've got a couple cases pending in the Northern District of Illinois Federal Court, Southern District of Illinois, a number pending locally, both in state and federal court, and and different. They're taking different approaches. It seems like the federal courts have a couple of a appellate cases I'm involved in as well. It seems like the federal courts are taking a much more cautious approach. I think you're right, Eric. I heard about a situation, I think it was in the Eastern District, where they actually started a trial, and then it turned out that the, some court personnel wound up testing positive, and they had to oh, shut wow. that down on the first day. It's a very difficult situation. And I would feel the same way about if you're talking about full-fledged jury trials. I think until we get on the other side of this thing and get some sort of a vaccine that works, it's going to be a challenge. To show you guys how untechnically savvy I am, Ron, I don't have a computer. I've never had a computer at work, but they gave me a laptop just to do this stuff. I have an iPad that I got recently to do depots. All I did, all I've been using is my phone for the last 10 years. It does raise an interesting point, which is that, of course, in the courtroom, one of the fears I have, I'm still old school there in terms of a lot of technology in the courtroom, because when things go south, it could be highly embarrassing. And, and so it reminded me of the fact that one of the challenges I had early on in the Zoom world is I was not getting a good internet connection. So so the voice would fade in and fade out, and it was very embarrassing. And and so ultimately, I had to get a new internet connection. So, so one of my biggest fears is that I have a couple of uh, cases that are being scheduled for oral argument in the Eighth Circuit, and undoubtedly, it'll be via Zoom or, or some similar type of apparatus. And my fear is that somehow there'll be some technical glitch where I'll be in the middle of a powerful presentation and, and we'll have the problem. You know, it probably is worth mentioning right now. We arranged for Ron to come on the podcast. He had no microphone at that point. I talked to him as a test on his computer and he sounded like he was talking in a trash can. It was really bad audio. And now with the addition of a little $50 headset, this is one by Sennheiser, it's around $50. It sounds professional. It's really amazing. It's probably worth saying that anybody who's on Zoom, talking to clients, talking to courts, whatever, you ought to make sure your audio is A1 and it doesn't cost that much to do it. It is wonderful. And I plan to sleep with it. Thank you much, Eric. All right. <laughs> your, your gift from being on. <laughs> so I guess there's really no backup for that though, Ron. I mean, if your audio, if you if it's get a good connection, it works out okay. If not, you know, what's plan B, I guess? Well, what I've been doing is I've been using my phone as well. So that's been my backup. And I can have my phone on mute. Sometimes you get some some feedbacks. And so that could be a challenge sometimes. But I always have my phone as a backup. And in fact, I was on a call this week, in fact, when I had some difficulties, even with this fancy new headset. And immediately I was able to shift gears and get on the phone and, and the audio came in perfectly. So always have to have a backup in the technological world. No question about that. A plan B and a plan C. You know, here we get to rely on our own Wi-Fi. Those of us who are working at home, which is much of the time, 
I was really hesitant to go to a court relying on their Wi-Fi. I don't know if you guys have had this problem, but sometimes the phone reception is not good in the courtroom and you call ahead and they say that we have Wi-Fi. And uh, I just stopped believing it because sometimes they don't have it. Sometimes they do have it and they can't find the password. And sometimes they do have it and it's spotty. So uh, I often would show up with a with a device that actually has the files on the device. Well, now we're now we're all at home, right? We have our computers in front of us. We can, you know, it's a little bit of a safety net to know we can work in our own environment that we're familiar with. So, Ron, I know your firm. You probably have multiple floors. I've talked with some other lawyers at different firms about making the footprint a little smaller, not needing as much office space. Is everybody thinking once this is behind us, going back or? Have some of the staff or attorneys indicated that maybe they want to work remotely full-time or permanently? Well, as a firm, I mean, that might be above my pay grade. Maybe our management committee has discussed it, but it hasn't come up. I mean, in terms of the future, I think we're more focused on the short term in terms of, you know, can we open safely and, and, and when might that happen? I think a lot of companies are realizing that, of course, there could be some real savings in continuing to work remotely. I've heard a lot about that, but there's been uh, we we have not had any discussions along those lines. But I could see how, in certain cases, it might make sense depending on how long this thing goes. If this thing goes well into 2021, and looking at those cost savings associated with maybe we've got this office, but we haven't been using it, and can we get away with something different? Uh, there, there might be some some appeal that might fall within a uh, a bigger umbrella of we're being many of us being drugged, kicking and screaming into a, a, maybe some better situations. One of those things might be the, you know, the death of paper. Ron, you mentioned this already, getting rid of paper is, is a good thing. And I've been solo for a long time where the most important piece of equipment in my office is the scanner. Like I want to get rid of everything that's paper as soon as it hits, put it into the system and access it anywhere in the world. And I think there's a lot of firms that are just still drowning in paper. John, I know that your firm, you've talked to me about the, the challenges of storing old paper and how to get rid of it. It's yep. very expensive Actually, to have Eric, around. Eric, we started doing that about five years ago. As you guys know, you got to keep the client's files for, what is it, 10 years uh, or some, see, five or 10 years. And that can add up. I mean, if you start collecting five years worth of files and some of the files are multiple boxes, but we started probably five, six years ago, scanning all of our closed files. And, and we've pretty much caught up that we don't have hardly any in storage anymore. It's all in, in, in the cloud or wherever it is that they store it. It seems that we're never going to go back. I think a lot of people are going to say goodbye to paper in a very dramatic way with COVID. And they're never going to go back because the advantages are just, uh, just uh, almost uncountable. One is that you can store it in multiple places. You can access it from wherever you are. Uh, you don't have to worry about a, you know, a sprinkler going off and damaging your precious files. I see that as a probably a kick that we all needed. A flip side, Ron, to what you were saying about that we were talking about needing less office space because of the, the pandemic. And really, in some instances, it may be the opposite. I mean, it may be safer and better to have individual offices with doors, you know, that you can close <laughs> and instead of in the cubicle or everybody on top of each other. So it's sort of like a, a, a pandemic proof office, right? Most people in our office have an office, you know, on our floor have an office. That is helpful nowadays, having an office with a door you can shut and close it. Or a rooftop garden where you can all gather in open air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
bigger elevators or divided elevators or something. <laughs> <laughs> or long lines. I suspect there could be a lot yeah. spread in yeah. that lobby yeah. waiting to get yeah. in the elevator. Yeah. So that's the thing. I can't imagine. I'm 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 thinking of my building, Ron, trying to get in there between eight and nine. Those elevators are packed. There's people standing in the hallway. I haven't been there in two months, but that's usually the case under normal times. Crowding in one of those elevators has got to be the worst thing to 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 do with this stuff going on. Yep. Yep. I'm on the 17th floor. I guess the stairs are an option. <laughs> we'll all get stronger legs, maybe. Maybe yeah. more people will be taking, yeah. the, taking well, the steps. Well, you won't have much risk there. You won't see too many people going up and down those yeah. things. That's not, not on 17, not 17 floors, that's for sure. <laughs> Ron, okay. can you think of anything else that we haven't covered you think we should cover? Well, I mean, I think that one of the interesting things, particularly now with us still being in COVID is, you know, there's some eagerness for folks to get in the office. Some lawyers feel that, you know, they have to be in the office. Some lawyers, I mean, of course, it's really tough with, with women who have small children, anyone who's at home with small children, but particularly women who, who have that responsibility mostly, and then trying to provide learning for students who, who unfortunately are stuck at home as well. So that's another challenge in and of itself. The other challenge is, is the age challenge, right? I mean, the younger lawyers who are less at risk might be more eager to go in versus people like me who just turned 60 in March. I'm a little bit more skittish, uh, not necessarily personally, but of course it becomes a situation where other individuals in your household who might be more vulnerable could catch it. So, so it makes it really, really tricky. I think all the way around right now. It's a tough challenge. And part of it is because our compelling need to be social is strong and invisible. And, and so is the virus. And so I think a lot of us, we get disarmed by this, this conflict a lot where we want it to be normal again. And you can see that, that playing out in society in many places right now. Sometimes I find myself pulling back to say, stop, pause, you want this thing, but that doesn't make it so. It seems like the planners at law firms, and uh, anytime you walk outside, you, you got to be making sure you're engaged. It's it's like Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. The, the fast brain is going to be going, I want to be with people and I want to interact like you used to be. And you got to pause and think because things are different and they remain different, even though it often seems that it's coming back to normal. So it's going to be a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a tough challenge. Well, I have a question for you two. When do you think we will, in all likelihood, be on the other side of this thing? Boy, that's a great question, and I have no idea. I could give you only this. I assume it won't be for the next year, but I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming we're going to go through 12 months, even if a vaccine becomes available in six months. I hear that the supply chain issues with regard to needles and vials and that kind of thing and distribution and manufacture it's not going to be where they invent the vaccine and then all of a sudden you just go down to Walgreens and get one. So I hope it's that way. I want to be optimistic, but uh, I don't know. I'm not thinking there's going to be a dramatic difference for a year. Yeah, and there'll be quite a backlog of trials, I suspect, by then. I had a case in California where the judge finally ruled on a motion a year and a half after the motion was filed. And I was told that a case doesn't get to trial there for like three or four years. And uh, I can't imagine, I mean, there's, we, we have to wait, of course, for our trial. And sometimes it's frustrating, but there's places where it was already stacked up insanely. And uh, I can't imagine how much worse this is going to make it. 
I, you know what? I think they're in, we can always adjust. I mean, we can add judges. There's ways to do it. I think if, if as they say, where well, there's a will, there's a way. And the main thing is doing it safely. And I think if we give it enough thought, there are ways to do it where we're not putting anybody at risk. I agree with Eric generally that it's not going to be soon. I'm hoping it's not a full year, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. And I think for that reason, we need to start even now exploring ways to do it in a safe way. I think some of the changes that we were forced into are going to end up being good changes. And I think some of the innovations that we can make to address these, these safety issues may end up helping us do things we already do a little bit better, hopefully. I think that's right to keep an optimistic spirit about this and to figure we can do something. Because once you, once you give in to the, the sadness and the frustration, nothing good happens. So we got to look for these opportunities, look for ways to do things better and safer. And uh, that'll, that'll always be the better path. Well, and one good thing, at least for me, is that I get to do a lot more Tai Chi. So the time I would normally be commuting downtown, I use that valuable time to do my Tai Chi in the morning. So, so Ron, I need you to do me a favor. You need to send me some of that energy. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could sell it by the bottle, Chi by the bottle. <laughs> I need an extra. I need a two liter, a big one. <laughs> Well, well, I really appreciate you all inviting me uh, for my first podcast. Uh, very interesting. And, and I truly enjoyed it. It was wonderful having you. This has been a, a, a good, upbeat conversation about a serious topic. So I, I hope the listeners are feeling the energy, too, because I, I think this has been a good session. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, too. Okay, this has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. We'll see you next time with another episode. This is Eric Veith. John Simon. See you next time. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.